you have the business you want, or is it driving you crazy? A recent survey said 70% of business owners are dissatisfied with some aspect of their business. That's why we created Driving Biz, the number one source of business information. We have the leading experts from around the world as guests each week. So enjoy and love your business. Ladies and gentlemen, my next guest is Bob Jordan, and he's the author of the book, Right Leader, Right Time. Now, Bob has spent years uh, looking at startup companies and what's made them great. And this is why I'm glad to have him on my show, Driving Biz, because he's been able to distill what makes these companies tick and what has driven them to success. Thank you for being here, Bob. Alan, thanks so much. It's a pleasure to be with you again. So, you know so, I'm a huge fan of yours. Really? Thank of course. Well, of course. And I and I, I know you you're you're a wonderful interviewer. I also have some questions for you this time as well. So we're, we're gonna get into this. Well, that's great. I love to have a dialogue, which makes it so exciting to make this show come alive. So, Bob, what motivated you to spend four years and a huge amount of investment to produce how they did it, billion-dollar insights from the heart of America? Thanks, Alan. Um, it, uh, it was a blessed event that caused us to do that book, and later Nightingale Conan produced an audio program with 10 of these champion founders we had interviewed, I was fortunate enough to be in an IPO. I was an early shareholder in a, a startup that eventually went public. And as my wife will tell you, uh, being even a small shareholder in a company that goes public covers for a lot of sins for many early stage companies you're in that don't go anywhere, never go public, never amount to much. Well, so I had this blessed event and I thought, how can I give back? And I thought of a bunch of things. I'm, uh, I, I'm, I've been in the Chicago business community a long time, and I thought, uh, form something charitable? Uh, should I try to launch a fund with a bunch of Chicago-based investors? Uh, I had had some background in publishing, and I thought, you know, one of the things that has always kind of bugged me is there was a perception years ago that the only place real tech innovation took place with Silicon Valley. And being a guy from Chicago, that always bothered me. And it wasn't true. And I thought, well, maybe, what if I turned my efforts onto trying to highlight all of this incredible success in the Midwest, or as we put it in the subtitle of the book, The Heartland. And that's what launched that effort. Interesting. You know, there, you know, one thing that Warren Buffett says about America is you should never count it down because there's so many innovators, so many people that really make business what it is. And you've put your finger on the pulse of many of those businesses. 
you know, you're you're right. I, I think it's wonderful you you bring up Warren Buffett's line. I, I need to remember that, you know, on some days where I just think, oh my God. You know, I, I read a lot and you can read a lot about things going wrong. And it's not that it isn't true. Um, but there just there there has to be hope and there has to be uh well, I'll give you an example. A, a friend from Minnesota sent me the story in the Wall Street Journal the other day that Illinois' ranking uh, in, in many schools around the state is abysmal. And so we were, we were trading these gloomy thoughts because here in Chicago, there have been challenges over the past couple of years. But I finished up, I said, I'm not leaving. I'm, I'm not moving. And Chicago is this very, I think it's one of the most vibrant business communities in the world and that that there is this huge movement which is well how do we solve these problems well and, and i think that's what we have to realize is that innovation that starts in the home it starts in the schools it starts in all these places and from those uh you know people have this question about the youth of our day and I know our youth is the secret to the future because they really have all the keys to it. And we have to believe in them taking things to another level. Yeah. So so if I can flip this on you for a moment, Alan, <clears throat> excuse me, because we had a prior conversation and we had talked about the fact that when we wrote how they did it. The full title of the book's How They Did It, Billion Dollar Insights from the Heart of America. Uh, it took years to convince the 45, these 45 champion founders, uh, the founder of Morningstar, the CEO of Twitter at the time, uh, people like that. It, it took years to convince them to do that. And ultimately, the only thing that got them all involved is that I, I was feeling a little desperate. And I said on the phone to one of these people, I said, you have a legacy and it can't die with you. The secret sauce of how you accomplish success so far out of the ordinary, it has to get passed on the next generation. And, uh, and this founder's name, Vince Padinelli, had done something remarkable in Ohio, had set up services for uh, uh, people who are severely challenged. Uh, he set up these series of group homes and he grew from zero to 200 million. And there was a pause and he said, you know, you're right. And instead of saying no, he said yes. So I want to know, because you, in your, your first career as a doctor, achieved success so far out of the norm, right? And, and pioneering work. So, so can you talk a little about what that secret sauce is like? If you were passing on a message to someone who's coming out of medical school, What's the legacy there? You know, I think the legacy is simple. It's that when new advances come out, always look at them. Always look at them as a potential to carry we, where we are now to another level. Look at them as something that is something solving problems that we couldn't solve before. And I'm going to go into an area where I was initially stymied 
you know, one day in my office, a person came in that had real bad burns from a fire. And, and, you know, I looked at him and I told him that I really had nothing to offer them. But I said, please don't give up hope because this is now, but in the future, I figure we'll have breakthroughs. And so I was at a conference in Cairo, Egypt, and a real brilliant man spoke on the podium about new laser systems and what they were doing to correct scars. And I went to him after the talk and I said, you know, this almost sounds too good to be true. And that speaker said, it is. He said, this is something I've been waiting for all my life. And I said, should I invest right now? He said, no. He said, there's going to be a couple more generations of these lasers and they will make a world of difference. So I waited. And one day the laser company phoned me and said, would you like to be one of the first on our laser systems? And I said, sure. Now I got that laser. I went to Italy to train on it. And then I started to offer it to some people. And, you know, these laser systems did something that nothing else would. They'd get inside the cells and reset them so that scar tissue was turned back to normal tissue. So we were able to take some of the world's worst burn scars and literally turn them back into normal tissue. So people that had terrible burns now could live normal lives without being scarred. Now, could you picture what that did for those people? That literally changed their life on their heads. It literally made the world of difference. So I became one of the top scar correcting people in the world, which allowed me to speak around the world on these wonderful lasers which helped even more people because these scar correcting lasers are now found in almost every, every place in the world. And one of my friends has produced a documentary about a young uh, person in South Africa who went inside of a building, saved some people in that building, but got scarred tremendously. So I was able to get in touch with her because of my show, how to, to, how to live a fantastic life. And I was able to introduce her to somebody in South Africa that was able to help this person. So again, the world is amazing when you let it be amazing and you allow it to connect the dots for you so that the, the scars that were there were not these people's future, but their past. You know, you're, it's 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 wonderful, and I appreciate you describing that. It's part of this. I think people should realize is you were going against my, my impression. Not a doctor. My impression of of doctors um, is that it's very much of almost a scientist calling, which is that it is very rigorous. It is evidence based. It's in and and so I think the natural bent for many doctors is erring on the side of what has already been proven. And it is a cautious nature. 
And, and so it's interesting that, you know, you did things at the forefront that were probably unproven. And, you know, and that's exactly true. But, you know, it's easy to move forward when you step on the shoulders of giants. And, you know, every little bit of science starts with the beginning. It starts with the hypotheses. And, you know, there were some amazing people that had pioneered these lasers in Detroit and pioneered these uh, these lasers in Italy and pioneered these lasers around the globe. So they had already started with them. And although their numbers of people they had used them on were not huge, there was amazing amounts of, of science there. And then the American military started with them because there were a number of Americans that were blown up by incendiary bombs in places like Afghanistan. So they started using them on treating people. And those lasers were shown to be extremely beneficial. And that really pushed them forward to the forefront of medicine. And I have the benefit of learning from people in the Navy in San Diego and, wow. and seeing what they were doing. So I was able then to introduce them to more people and more people and more people. So although it was the fledgling start, it was a beautiful start. It really took the knowledge we had and turned it on its head and made it so that we could make things really beautiful for so many people. Can I, uh, can I follow up there, ask you another question? Um, this is a question we asked of every leader we interviewed for Right Leader, Right Time. Okay. Can you recall what happened on your best day in, as a doctor? You've had more career since then. But is there a specific day? I don't mean an agglomeration, aggregation of, you know, some leaders we would ask, they say, well, on my best day, profits are up, blah, blah, blah. I said, no, 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 not, not a generic generalized. Literally, was there a day something happened and you thought, this is it. This is the epiphany, the thing I need to remember. Yes. Was there a best day? Yes, there was. You know, I when I got my laser, I heard of a young lady by the name of Callie Farlado who was a professional speaker. And despite her bad burns she had as a child, she was still speaking on the speaking circuit. And, you know, I reached out to her and she told me, I said, you know, we now have a laser that can make your scars literally vanish. And, and she was on a plane going to Africa to speak. And she said, no, I, I don't really think I want that. I said, Kelly, this can really change your life. I said, your scars are such that they'll keep on growing. And eventually, they'll prevent you from breathing properly, which will prevent you from speaking. I said, when you come back, please allow me to do a little bit of scar correction on you. And we will show you that it actually does work. And she said, sure. When I get back, I'll get in touch. And she got in touch with me and we did some scar correction 
And just as predicted, the lasers worked just like I thought they would. And she was so overwhelmed. She gave me one of the greatest gifts of all, which was tears of joy. And she said, oh, my God, this is going to change my life. Now, this followed up when I was in Egypt. In Egypt, I was invited to teach the residents some new techniques. And I was a guest of the state. So, of course, I arranged for my fancy laser to accompany me there. And I, and when a person comes to a country like that, they get in touch with people in the community saying this expert is coming. And I, a lady by the name of Sarah came and she was having terrible problems with her scars. She was involved in a bad fire as a result of a, a, a burn incident. And the scars were so bad, she could, had to eat through a straw. She had to literally, she couldn't lift her head to see the stars. So she begged me to treat her aggressively, which I did. And just before I left, she came in and all of her scars had, had wonderfully vanished. And she gave me the gift of a flower. Now, a gift of a flower is a very rare gift from a woman to a man in Egypt. But that gift I pressed and I kept in a book because it is one of the most precious gifts I have because it shows me the power of human hope and how hope often carries people through despair. That's a wonderful story. Thank you. So let's go through, and I want you to share with me one of your company's stories that started from nothing and was able to turn into a massive company from your book. Sure. So, uh, so many great stories. Um, one that people may have heard of is Morningstar. Morningstar is a world leader in finance. Um, it also was somewhat personal because my first company I was in a historic building in Chicago. Uh, it, it was the last load-bearing skyscraper, if you will, before steel started getting used in the 1890s. Anyway, I was on the 17th floor of this gorgeous building called the Monadnock. And on the 16th floor, there was a company founder named Joe Mansueto. He had 500 square feet. And he launched a quarterly a book that was a review of mutual fund performance once a quarter. Joe had, I think, technically started in a two-bedroom apartment. Anyway, over the span of 35 years, he grew to 4,000 employees, public company, multi-billion dollar valuation. Um, and th those were the kind of examples where it, it, it kind of led to the title because I was so blown away, even having known him a little bit, which is how. The interesting thing, Alan, overall, we, we interviewed 45 founders and how they did it. I thought I was going to hear that every single story was almost unmitigated success because I was approaching as an outsider. Many of them were public. Many were worth a lot of money. And I just thought, well, I'm going to hear, well, we did these 10 things right. And that's what happened. 
That's not what I heard. Almost to a man and woman. <clears throat> Excuse me. What I heard was, oh, my God, let me tell you about all the setbacks. I couldn't believe it because I was hearing so many stories of failure. Um, it was kind of like, well, how did you get there? Like one of the companies was Tomotherapy. They were a pioneer in MRI technology, a professor and a couple of his students at the University of Wisconsin. They had figured out a better way um, to make radiotherapy. And it was a billion dollar public company. We get in touch with the founder, Rock Mackey. And yeah, it's kind of like, how'd you do it? He said, well, first you have to understand the day we launched the company, our partner, GE, backed out of the deal. So we had to fire the whole staff. Day one. Wow. That's pretty and I'm, and I'm hearing this and I'm like, wait a minute, you're public. What are you talking about? You you had to fire everyone day one. He said GE had had a, a terrible accident. And so they, in this division, and they just decided it was too much risk. So this was completely unscripted. Like, so what did you do? He said, well, he and his co-founder, uh, also the University of Wisconsin, he said, you know, we just, we believed. Um, and so they decided to put their own savings into it and scratch back, you know, that literally slowly regrow, figure out how to do it without a partner, a big partner. Um, and <clears> that it was a series of, of little moves. He also said something funny that I still quote to a lot of people because it was it was so unique. Rex said at one point in the interview, he said, give me a kid who grew up on a farm. And and was talking about is he, you know, he had all these grad students and they're working on various projects. And they're like, what do you mean grew up on a farm? He said, you give me a kid who grew up on a farm and they can fix things, they can solve problems. You're on a farm. You don't, it's not like you could just call up somebody when something breaks or you have a problem. You, it's kind of like has to get wired into you to be resourceful and to show a level of, of ingenuity. And Rock's line always stuck with me. That, that's huge. Now, you've worked with 45 businesses and their owners. What makes a fantastic business? It's a great question. Um, one of the things for sure. I will tell you a line uh, that that you won't see in how they did it. How they did it is a series of Q&A interviews. It, it's not really me writing like right leader, right time. It is, it, it, it's these Q, long Q&As that were organized to be, you know, easy to read. And one of the founders said, they all said, you have to hire people better than yourself. Got it. It's such a truism. It, it didn't make it into every interview. But what one of the, <clears throat> excuse me, one of the founders said, he said, he said, you know, the thing I had to take care of was hiring the first three to five people. He said, they had to be great. He said, if I could just do that, then as the business grew, that if each one of those people had the same mindset and responsibility to go hire three to five great people, now you have a way to go build an organization 
that can have depth and can have value. I'll tell you one of the biggest findings, Alan, you know, as I said, I thought I was going to hear unmitigated success. I didn't. Virtually every successful founder we interviewed, it was not plan A. The first initial plan usually is not the home run. It, It may or may not be a big failure, but it's not the home run. One of the founders we interviewed, Bonnie Baskin, she was one of the first scientists to develop laboratory technology to detect AIDS. And she had this idea when she started a company that she would have a mobile lab in a van. That was going to be her claim to fame. And she became incredibly successful with two companies, hundreds of millions of dollars in value that she created. She said, yeah, we never ended up using the mobile van. We were going so fast that, yes, we were transporting tissues and and samples and all of that, but no, no, nobody ever really needed the van. Okay, I'm going to have to shut you off, Bob, there, because believe it or not, we're already at the end of our time. And I want you to be able to tell us, how can people find out more about you and what you have to offer? Thank you, Alan. People can reach me at interimexecs.com. Excellent. Okay. Bob, I want to thank you for being here today. And thank you so much for sharing with us about the things that drive business today. Thank you, Alan. It's been a pleasure to be with you again. Okay. Bye for now. And ladies and gentlemen, please check out my website as well. Dr. Alan Leica, that's D-R-A-L-L-E-N, Leica, L-Y-C-K-A. And I want you to have a fantastic life and a fantastic business life. Bye for now. We hope you enjoyed Driving Biz, where you get the advice of the leading experts of the world. If you want more, you need to join the number one community for business owners, nobull.biz. And for a limited time, you can join at a discounted rate. To learn more, go to nobull.biz.